So he's out pitching Bidenomics. What's the political reality? Roughly one in three Americans approve of the way that Joe Biden has handled the economy in a new survey, which comes as the White House has gone all in on the term Bidenomics. Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff. What is Bidenomics? The president wants a word. Why is a federal judge blocking a Kentucky law against child abuse? And we commend another Kentucky journalist two weeks in a row. <laughs> Unbuckle your CPAP machine because Flyover Country <laughs> with Scott Jennings is live. Hello. That was pretty good. Hey, Kevin. Hey, Scott. Hey, I, I can see you put some time in on that. <laughs> I, I spent three minutes on that. Hey, so Bidenomics, uh, the president, before we get to that, though, just I hope we hope that your view of outside your window today is clearer than what it has been the last couple of days here mm. in Flyover Country because it is... It's hard to see. It's a it foggy is. one out there. It was, uh, we could barely see the nets of Top Golf, <laughs> which we could normally see out of our studio window here. It was. Uh, there are times where this, the, this is, of course, the Canadian wildfires and how everything is, uh, is kind of dipping down through the plains and into the, even into the south. And uh, I was driving across Kentucky this morning, Wednesday morning, and there is also something kind of pretty about it as far as the morning fog and the kind of diff- refracts the rays, rays of the sun, kind of gives that golden hue, and it's kind of cool in the mountains, but at the same time, it's... So you it's, take a deep wait, breath. So you're, arguing, you're... you're arguing that the it's wildfire <laughs> smoke that doesn't permit me to see anything past my face... And is likely harming your lungs. ...is beautiful. Hey, it's two cigarettes worth of a sunset, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so Has, has anybody I, I just... asked about, uh, should we be building a wall between us and Canada? Keep all this smoke out? I, I I do have to wonder what's left of Canada. They burned a lot. I mean, it's it's a big place. For it's how, been going for a couple weeks. It really has been. I'm 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 sincere here. Yeah, there's a lot going on up there. By the way, yes, <clears throat> I'm drinking out of this tumbler, and I'll tell you why. Because I read an article this week that has me a little worried. You know, I like to drink the seltzer waters. Mm-hmm. That's what I drink now. But they say that it hurts your teeth. The pH levels ah. are low, but uh, one of the things you can do is drink it out of a straw, which I don't love straws. And bypass your teeth? Yes. That was essentially what they were arguing. So trying to be healthy, drink a lot more water, which I've sort of adopted the seltzer waters. Mm-hmm. But now I gotta drink it. I gotta drink it out of this thing. It's like it's like it's annoying to me. It's enormous. <laughs> and I don't love straws anyway. Sorry. This is the anti-straw podcast. <laughs> we go from At least it's not a paper straw. Well, that's the whole other story. Paper straws drive me crazy. Yeah. Because they last for about maybe two minutes. They just disintegrate. And then they, and then How often like, do you encounter a paper straw here in Louisville, Kentucky? Well, Too often, when I'm you sure. travel, When you travel, you can oh. do a lot of the paper yeah. straws. Yeah. You know. Hey, Bidenomics, the oh. president uh, speaking in Chicago. I, I was just bringing up the straw thing yes. because I just... I know we're about to hear Joe Biden's voice, and I was really just trying to stall out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is about the time, I guess, in a presidential campaign, Scott, where if you you have to figure out how do we attack our biggest deficiency, how do we how do we look at you know the problem with inflation, with the economy, with just how terrible of shape, and the the fact that Americans fly over country and beyond can feel the hurt. You know, there's 
There's less paycheck left at the end of the month because when you go to the grocery store, it's it's inflation, as you know, you know, goes up, up like a skyrocket and down like a balloon, and uh, or a feather, mm. and uh, that's this is the reality that we're living in here. But the president appears to think that we're uh, in pretty good shape. He's leaning in. Let's hear it. Created 13.4 million new jobs, more jobs in two years than any president has ever made in four. Two. And folks, it's no accident. That's Bidenomics in action. <laughs> he does this on inflation. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. Yes, on inflation, also mm-hmm. on the deficit. You know, well, it's come down on my... So you, 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 you take something up to the moon, yeah. and then you drop it off, and you say, well, it looks like it's going down to me. Well, you took it to the moon. It has nowhere <laughs> else to go but right. down. And so same thing on the job. We obviously had job losses during the pandemic. And so taking credit for... Essentially, the pandemic ending, which he had nothing to do with, just ended. Well, we shut they, down the country. I mean, they've gotten in trouble for this a number of times. Like, they'll tweet out a graphic of gas prices today versus a year ago. Oh, they've come down a dollar. He was president a year ago. I know. They say the bad data point for you is still in your graphic. So he's out pitching Bidenomics. What's the political reality? Yes. Roughly one in three Americans approve of the way that. Joe Biden has handled the economy in a new survey, which comes as the White House has gone all in on the term Bidenomics. This is reporting from The Hill. Among U.S. adults surveyed, 34% said they approve of the president's handling of the economy, about the same as their responses in May. This survey was conducted by the Associated Press and the Nork Center for Public Affairs Research. 60% of Democrats approve of Biden's handling of the economy. Only 60% Only of his own 60. party. <clears throat> Only 72% of Democrats approve of Biden's overall job performance. So he's losing almost 30% of his party on job performance. Seven in 10 adults said they think economic conditions in the U.S. are poor. Overall, the poll found that 41% of U.S. adults approve of Joe Biden. approved of his handling of foreign policy, 44% of health care. Bottom line, people don't like it. The dogs do not want to eat the dog food, (laughs) and the White House's response is is to put more dog food in the bowl by putting a new label on it. Not going to work. But what options or choices do they have? If Biden is your nominee, don't they have to take this head on? I mean, you you have to you have to talk about issues that people care about, but you do not have to lie in their face and describe a reality which they are not having. They're not experiencing the reality. He's sitting here talking about things. People are not experiencing this reality. Inflation's coming down. Does it feel like it's coming down when you go to the grocery store? No. Do you think he's out of touch and just doesn't realize the economy is this bad, or do you think it's a blatant lie he's telling? I think. I think. They basically live in an alternate reality bubble where everything's great, all is well. And, you know, this is a problem with being the president. You you can't easily get into a bubble. And everyone around you is telling you how great everything is. But I do think they frequently engage in open deception with the American people. Does that work, though? Does it? Yeah, obviously. Some people believe it. Now, on the economy, though, but on things that you're dealing with every day, it's harder to make it work. Because you can hear Joe Biden say, oh, this is that or this is this. But if you go out to the store or you go out and engage in the economy somehow and it's just not your reality, then it, it looks foolish. 
So I don't know if it's going to work. I just I don't think in a period of high inflation that we've gone through, people are ever going to say, man, that Joe Biden did a great job. And they're just not going to do it. They're not going to not going to do it. They're not going <laughs> to so do it. I guess, <laughs> I guess this is maybe statistics versus lived reality. Lived experience. Right. Lived reality. And, and this is something you interact with every day. What stuff cost? What does stuff cost? And so, I don't know. You're probably right. They probably have no choice but to try something here. I just, I don't know. In this speech, though, he did say he's tackling those resort fees. He, he <laughs> oh, is going to make in. sure that resorts are not charging you hidden fees. The small ball presidency. Wow. Well, and it's not just resort fees. It's basically junk fees in general. It's also like the whole Ticketmaster thing, and it's the hidden fees they have. That's what he's talking about. And I, I do think that there is sort of an everyman uh, appeal to that issue. I'm not saying it is small ball. There's no question about it. It's not really presidential level stuff. It's basically, it's like the, no offense, Michael Adams, it's like the secretary of state and your local state should be taking care of this, these kind of things. But it's just, are you blaming Mike wow. Adams for high wow. ticket? Wow. I feel like on the show <laughs> once a week, you say something that just goes down a bizarre alley and it, it invariably it's going to make somebody mad. And I'm just going to leave this. Sometimes we edit it out. What you don't know at home is that we take these vignettes from Joe, Joe actually out. Talks But we're going to leave this one in. I want to get Mike in here to explain why he hasn't fixed credit your, your ticket fees or whatever. Leave it to the states. <laughs> Amazing. It's just, this is like batting practice, but I'm the I'm the I'm the, <laughs> on, the ball. Yeah. on the on the Bidenomics today. There was the, the ball. There was the national stuff, but there yeah. was something, Kevin. Yeah. That was very very. If you live in Kentucky or I don't know West Virginia, where there's a big Senate race next year, you might have listened closely for something about energy. You're not going to see anybody building a new coal-fired plant in America. Mm. Not just because I'd like to pass a law to say that. It's too expensive. It doesn't work anymore. So you got the president. Now, where have I heard this before? Mm. Barack Obama. Yeah. They can build it. It's just going to bankrupt them. Right. Hillary Clinton. We're going to be putting a lot of coal miners and coal people out of business. And now here, the third consecutive Democrat nominee for president. Shameful promising to destroy coal country. Where do we live, by the way, Kevin? Oh, coal country. Whoa. We live in coal country. Just to be clear about this. This is just Andy yeah, Bashir's Can we play, let's play this again? Guy, by the way. Like, listen again what he's saying here. What, what he says in this, in this soundbite is the reason why no one's building any coal You're not going to see anybody building a new coal-fired plant in America. Why? Not just because I'd like to pass a law to say that. It's too expensive. It doesn't work anymore. Okay. Let's ask the question, why is it too expensive? There's all kinds and of And why doesn't it work? Well, you hear all the time saying it's too expensive. It's too, well, if the regulatory state yes. has decided yeah. that it should be too expensive, I mean, this is... That was the plan. Yeah, right, exactly. So he's lighting the house on fire, and then he's saying... Grab, you know, the, grab right. the other one, because he goes further. He goes further on energy. Mm-hmm. He's crapping on coal. Right, so listen you, to you, this call, you cause a crisis, and then you so, so you talk about it as if it's a naturally occurring phenomenon rather than something you created yourself. Go ahead. You know, it's already cheaper. Wind and solar are already significantly cheaper than coal and oil. You're not going to see anybody building a new coal-fired That was the preface of that soundbite in the first place. And, of course, the reason why wind and solar, Scott and Kevin, are quote-unquote cheaper, if even that they are after subsidies, are because there are – 
large, ex- enormous federal subsidies yeah. that are propping these up because there is a is it, there's a political and a uh, activist you know motivation here to make them uh, less expensive. If I could just for a moment from, from the yes. en- from the energy sector, the problem even with that entire argument is you're you're treating these different kinds of energy equally because you're saying they can produce energy, you know, it's going to cost you X amount with wind, X amount with solar, X amount with coal. The problem is, is that wind and solar energy, this is kind of like a breaking news, wind, wor- wind energy works when the wind blows and solar energy works when the sun shines. Coal and fossil fuels work it's called what's called the word is dispatchable meaning you can call on it whenever you need it you can't call on the wind turbine or the solar panel to work at two o'clock in the morning generally it's at, at that point if you're counting on that now but I, I can make the argument but wait they're cheaper yes it's sort of like you know your your drunk brother-in-law you know he's cheaper you can hire him <laughs> but, but he's not going to do anything for you. Joe Biden, yeah. your drunk brother-in-law, brother-in-law. of the energy it's, sector. It's market manipulation. It's, yeah. But also yeah. I'm saying it's unreliable. And it's unreliable. So the point of it is, yes, yeah, so it's, it's both of those things. It's market manipulation. They're, the policies, It's he's taking credit, or he's, he's talking about this as if it is, again, naturally occurring. Like yeah. This yeah. is something yeah. which has happened. No. This is the result, as you said earlier, Kevin, of a, of a long strategy a long game to put them out of business. And, and the then side say, effect yes. is that our electrical grid is less resilient and more prone to, blackouts. I don't know, a storm? And, bla- and, rolling, and, and blackouts rolling blackouts during high demand periods. That's right. So, unfortunately, this is a crisis uh, in, in America and across the world, but especially in America because we have gone that direction. Other countries, I mean, the crazy thing is, of course, is that rather than thinking about the economy and think about GDP and thinking about... Uh, supporting industry, you know, we are unilaterally putting in limitations and on energy production in this country while China is still constructing coal plants. And, and where were we just three years ago, Joe? We were not only energy independent, oh, yeah. we were exporting that's right. energy. Yeah, that's right. This, this, uh, it, it's a religion. Yeah. For them. I mean, it's a religion. And you know, he says it's cheaper. Is it cheaper when you factor in the subsidies? I, don't, I mean, I mean, we're paying well again massive but, amounts of taxpayer money to prop this, this stuff is up. This d- is Democrat math. You kind of squint and r- scribble a figure. It's the same though, like this. The, you know, on the other green energy story of the week, Ford, yeah, motor company is laying off a thousand, at least a thousand salaried and contract workers because it is losing three billion dollars this year making electric vehicles. They are saying that they are losing more than $30,000 on every electric vehicle. That's insane. Now, last week, the federal government, us, the people, (laughs) loaned Ford and a South Korean company over $9 billion to build battery factories in the South on top of federal tax credits that they use to entice you to buy these things. Does the math of this make well, any sense to you at all? If, you have the Ford's laying off a thousand people. Yeah. They're losing thirty grand a car, three billion on EVs. The feds are sending nine billion to the South Koreans to build battery plants, 
they're sending thousands to taxpayers in subsidies to buy these cars. But if you followed all this, when the feds announced what the federal what the subsidies were to buy the tax credits were, yep. they just raised the price right. of the car. This it, it, it's like all these all this money is just in a hamster wheel yeah. of death. <laughs> it's like it's like terrible. At this point, I, first of all, if I'm Ford's accountant, there's no way you cannot build the battery plants because you're essentially building them for free on the taxpayer's dime. You know, at this point, these loans are ultimately forgivable, and you're talking about it's a, it's a giveaway. And so that you you couldn't, in good conscience, as a as a for but how, how long can turn you that down? be selling cars that you're losing $30,000 every time one of them rolls off the lot? Well, what they would say is this is the initial, uh, this is the price you have to pay for market uh, share as because the, the Biden administration has already said that by, what, 2030, at least half of every new vehicle manufactured in this country must be an EV. Must be electric vehicle. So at that point, you have to. This is their entry into it, and so the government's saying, "We know you can't afford this on your own," and yeah. because we believe in in this as an overall goal as a nation of us to transform ourselves into the electric vehicle space, that we have to back you up and, and make it happen. You know, I said they were losing thirty grand. I actually think it's sixty grand. Sixty grand wow. on every vehicle they sell, on all these EVs. Sixty grand they're losing. I mean, imagine if you ran a, I don't know, like a restaurant, <laughs> and you were losing that much money on every hamburger or every plate of French fries. I just, you cannot. I don't know if they factored in the federal subsidies on that on that amount yet, though. I'm not sure. Because that's like, back to coal. This is a whole, it's a manipulation of the market because you have an intended result. Yep. You want to put the coal plants out of business, so you're going to subsidize the uh, solar and wind. You want to get people off of... Uh, gas combustion uh, engines, you're going to subsidize, oversubsidize electric vehicles. Now, the question becomes, what actually happens? There's a couple different questions. What actually happens in 2030, 2035 to the American people? And will we figure out by then the technology that you'll be able to continue to charge these vehicles when, and you'll be able to drive them the distances you want to dr- drive them? Ultimately, this is against... Back to the bubble, Scott, you talked about on the, the coastal elites. The people who, A, sometimes don't even drive cars in the first place. Those who do are going to drive within a city and drive very you know, short distances, generally speaking, and you can drive to the next port and, 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 you know, and, and plug in. Rural America, though, flyover country, yeah. this is the area where it's going to be I, – I, I, I mean, this is a whole other tangent, I know, but I think we are going to be living in – you think we're polarized now? It's going to be like a Mad Max type polarization when it comes to people who live in urban areas versus rural areas and what vehicles you drive. I think there'll be gas stations in the rural areas, and, you, and you'll find a charger once every 50 miles because it's federally mandated. And in the urban areas, you'll have a hard time finding a gas station. But how do you charge your – like, what, what powers the chargers? Well, that's the whole point. <laughs> I mean, now, this is the other. This is the other thing, which is you just plug it into the wall, and the this power is, comes this out. Is, right? This is. I was, as you know, I was in D.C. last week, and and every member of our, well, most every member of the of the Kentucky congressional delegation said the same thing, is in asking our some students I was with, you know, what do you think the plan is? The, the question you just asked. Yeah. How, how are we going to charge them? And they kind of looked at me and said, Well, that's because there is none. 
There's not a plan. It's it's we'll figure it out. This is literally we're going to build the landing gear while we're in the air. Yeah. And uh, but it has real consequences on yeah, real absolutely. people. Absolutely. And and the, and the electric grid itself. And, to your point, Kevin. So we're taking off the most reliable sources of energy off of the grid, replacing them with subsidized energy, which is not dispatchable or reliable. And then we're going to add to the grid that we've just reduced the capacity. Yeah. We're going to double the demand because of electric vehicles. I mean, <laughs> the math does not add Meanwhile, up. China's over there eating our lunch. Well. Good job. Good job, Joe Biden. Yeah. Thank it's, you. Bidenomics. Bidenomics. But this goes back to what you said before, because at this point, physics and facts are trumped by religion. The zealotry of yeah of what do you call it climate politics or whatever at that point it does not matter what the facts are and it and also doesn't matter how much you have to suffer because this ultimately and I how think, much you have to pay because right. this is all our money ultimately I think what what the, the tax will be paid if you will is going to be by ordinary Americans the people who are least likely to be able to afford it that crap will roll downhill yeah. And and at that point, it'll be like, well, that's the price you have to pay. This is sort of like the, back in the Bill Clinton era of uh, what was what do you say again about everyone having to suffer, uh, shared sacrifice, you know, as far as well, the shared the, it's going to be sacrificed disproportionately, yeah, uh, by the by the folks in flyover country. There's political consequences. Yeah, right. I mean, this coal business. I you, mean, you brought it up. There's a big race in West Virginia. Joe Manchin probably didn't love. Of course, of course, this week Joe Manchin was at the White House for something and. <laughs> Joe Biden was up there saying, "Here's my best friend, Joe Manchin." Joe, jo- he called him Jojo. Right? Jojo, good to see you, Jojo. I mean, and talking about how how he helped him pass his agenda. Yeah, right. That's gonna come back. Where yeah. does Joe Manchin? I mean, didn't I thought Joe Manchin was? I thought he had left the Democratic Party or something like that. Didn't he? Did he? Didn't he say? Oh, he's claiming now that he's against everything, but the vote, the Inflation Reduction Act, which. <laughs> I still saying it out loud makes me Great laugh. Name. But to, to be clear, by the way, he voted for it. They call yeah. it that. The, the Inflation Reduction Act is, I mean, if you want to start like truth in advertising, that is the climate or coal plant death act. This, this is, but this, this is what the left does. They do, they they write they they do their policy. And they say, what could we call it mm-hmm. that is the opposite of what we're doing, but <laughs> sounds better. Oh, gender affirming care. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely right. Uh, you know, uh, reproductive uh, health care. Oh, inflation reduction act. They just literally make up euphemisms that are not in any way grounded in reality. I have to give credit <laughs> to whomever came up with the phrase of gender affirming care <laughs> because I see it in every news outlet. Yeah. Oh. Every news outlet has picked up on this euphemism or but which is exactly the opposite yeah. of what it portends to be. It is literally gender changing. Changing care. Yes. But that would than, but that would be politically bad. So yeah. they changed it. <laughs> the the term began to identify as a different term. <laughs> right. <laughs> it became well, it now it identifies as affirming, not it also reminds changing. me back from my language studies in high school is that gender actually is a grammatical term and sex is the actual biological term. So it is a sex changing rather than gender. You know, changing. Oh, Joe, yeah. we're going to get so many letters about this. <laughs> no, but it's true. It's I mean, true. I'm just, I'm just saying they have, they have taken over the language. It's a true but, story. But I would. But whoever thought of that first, I mean, kudos to them from a public relations or marketing perspective, because well, every, when you're on the left, it ain't that hard to sort of make pro- stuff up and program the 
the no. language. <laughs> but it is it is imbued. Since I every mean, institution in the world is yeah. is geared to yeah. do what you tell them to do. Right. right. St- Stanford is trying to make sure you don't call people Americans. That they, they have a what? war on on all the words. Stanford is saying you can't be called an American. That's that's uh, offensive. Yeah. Because you typically mean someone from the United States and not you know the rest of the Americas. Yes. By the way, I had to look up. I don't know some of these words. Uh, <laughs> here we go. Cisgender. No, let's not. Let's not. I didn't know it. No one listening to this wants to hear you. Okay. <laughs> go through all the words define. you can't define. Okay. <laughs> we'll be here for a long time. All right. So on this, on the notes of uh, of of gender affirming, whether whatever that means. A federal judge, David Hale. Yeah, breaking news. Uh, breaking news on this. Uh, we're recording this Wednesday evening, uh, June 28th, 2023. And hours ago, U.S. District Judge David Hale uh, sided with the ACLU of Kentucky to issue a temporary injunction. Mm. Uh, it's blocking parts of a bill, Senate Bill 150, yeah. which was got a lot of attention during the Kentucky, the Kentucky General Assembly during this past session. Yep. Did a couple of things. It, it, it uh, protected children from child abuse, uh, from basically from mutilating their bodies, um, or having their parents allow a doctor to mutilate their bodies to uh, perform sex change operations on children. It also, um, my, I understand, prevented uh, permanent damage to the children as well through different hormones and puberty blockers and things, because this is thing, things that actually will affect them the rest of their lives. Right. I mean, more than a tattoo, even though tattoos are apparently banned because a child is too young to be able to make that decision for themselves. Yeah, yeah you have to be right. 18 to be able to get a tattoo, a tattoo in those places. Right, because but, otherwise it's too permanent, you right? Know, certain people, like right. the governor of Kentucky, think eight- and nine-year-olds are ready to make these choices. So you have a situation now where the judge said, well, because I, I gather what his reasoning is is that the medical community says these drugs that the law bans are actually okay. Is that about right, Kevin? Am I describing this well? As far as so, uh, I, I just just uh, a caveat. It's the American medical commu- medical community. These people here in the United States that are zealots and all of Europe, across Europe. They're backtracking against this because they say the science doesn't actually make sense. This is kind of like uh, Randy Weingarten and the teachers union deciding right. policy in the same way as the these American medical groups that are saying, well, we, we think this is right. So even though elected legislators have looked at this issue, have talked to people who have been affected by this and said we need to protect the children. Well, the polling is overwhelming as well. Right. I mean, the American people don't <laughs> – they're not into it. And uh, and yet here we have a liberal judge uh, and there's been some of these injunctions because other states have passed similar bills. Yeah. And so I guess we'll ultimately see this thing play out at the appellate level um, at the federal level. Yeah. Kentucky's not giving up. Uh, Attorney General Daniel Cameron put out a statement today that said in part he called this a misguided decision by a federal judge that tramples the right of the attorney general to make public policy. Uh, There's nothing affirming about this dangerous approach to mental health. And they're going to continue to do everything to defend the law passed by the elected officials. And then uh, what did the—because this is going to be a massive issue in this yeah. campaign. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What did the Republican Party say? Uh, he said there are two candidates for governor, said our good friend Sean Southard. Here's what they believe. Friend of the pod. <laughs> he is the pod. Hey, Sean. Well, by the way, where Sean normally sits is just a backpack in the chair. Did he leave his stuff here? Actually, Clint Eastwood left up with <laughs> Oh, that's your backpack. <laughs> Sorry, Sean, you've been replaced by an inanimate object. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. 
There are two <laughs> candidates for governor. Here's what they believe. Annie Bashir believes kids as young as eight and nine years old should have access to sex change surgery and chemicals. Daniel Cameron does not. Radical gender ideology has its candidate in this race, and it's not Daniel Cameron. It's Andy Bashir. Yeah. It's from the Republican Party. I think I think that this issue because it's a clear, bright line, you know, between Bashir and Cameron. And uh, Bashir's gonna try to cast it as a parental rights, you know, oh, you want to take away the rights of parents to make decisions for kids. Of course, we take away parental rights all the time when they are beating children or you know, malnourishing them or neglecting them Keeping or them out of school or whatever the case is. I mean, is even even not putting them in the right car seat. I mean, we right. you know, we there are restrictions on what adults can do to children because sometimes adults do bad things to children. I think, by the way, just to be clear on the, the judge, I, he, the temporary injunction apparently is his reasoning is also that he believes that this will be overruled on constitutional grounds. That's why he's saying he's putting this in, because he's predicting that down the road, these this this lawsuit will result in that happening. So we'll see how that. He's goes. saying that he believes the Supreme Court will knock these things out. Mm-hmm. Hmm. This Supreme Court, <laughs> okay, uh, you know, interesting. Maybe he's thinking they should. I I don't. I can't speak for David I, and, Hale and, or anybody and, else. And, and, and we, we don't have a lawyer in here. But here's a question: So all these these similar kinds of laws that were passed in the country that now have these injunctions are these things all going to wind up under one umbrella? Mm-hmm. Channel. I, I don't know how that's going to work. We need to get Daniel on here and ask him about that. I'm that not sure be, how that works. Yeah. That's a gr- great idea because it will be, I mean, this is all obviously an emerging issue. And, yeah. And uh, other states, I'm sure, are going to pass laws but coming it, up. It gets back to this fundamental question that we've been asking. Is is this this advance of the woke ideology in, into every aspect of our lives? Mm-hmm. You know, we were talking about it in energy. We're talking about it in the economy. But when it comes to our kids, they are quick to say... This isn't woke. This isn't. This this isn't part of an agenda. We're just here for the mental health of our kids. It's it's kind of fascinating to me in the last few years what's been revealed in the United States about what adults are willing to do to children in the name of their own ideology ideological preferences. Look what we did to them during COVID. Yeah, we locked their schools. We strapped masks on their faces. Long past the moment when we knew that it was ineffective. Look at this. You have a bunch of adults who want, they desperately want to be part of this new woke religion. This is the leading edge of it. And so they're desperate to make sure children are available to be chemically castrated. To be, to, I mean, these five, six, seven years old. And you're telling me it's a good idea to change a kid's gender with chemicals and surgeries what are we doing to children and what were they doing to children in new york city kevin this was the new york city pride parade we're here we're queer and we're coming for your children was the chant at the parade. Now, this wasn't really captured in the news coverage. Some people videotaped it. But the news ultimately figured out that it was a major problem. Yeah. That it was a major problem. This is a PR problem. They said the quiet part out loud. So NBC News yesterday published a story that said, (laughs) the coming for your children chant has been used for years at Pride events, according to longtime March attendees. 
who said it's one of the many provocative expressions used to regain control of slurs against LGBTQ people. What? There was a, this was on Twitter that NBC put this out. So their defense of saying we're coming for your children was, well, we say that all the time. We've been saying it forever, so it's fine. And they thought this was a defense. <laughs> I was going to say, this is actually this, this the opposite. I mean, it's one thing. It'd be easy enough to say this was a rogue group of, yeah, right. of, of sick people. But it's not. It was widespread, and it was videotaped. Now, is this interestingly— a, Is this the same parade where the guy was, was riding on a bicycle naked, and they, and they defended in, that, too? In, that front was, of, in front of kids? That was numerous parades where you had naked men riding by and parading around in front of children— and then you have others saying, we're coming for your children. You know, what's that old thing? When people tell you who they are, you should believe it? Yeah. Well, I think they're telling us. They're coming for our children. Right. They're trying to normalize this and make 95% of Americans who think this is crazy feel like the out faction here. Now, interestingly, on that NBC News story, Twitter's community notes posted a helpful note. Coming for your children is not a historical part of pride. (laughs) The chant appears to originate from the San Francisco Gay Men's Choir singing a song with this title two years ago in 2021. This NBC article thus is a misrepresentation. So it strikes me that what happened was a massive PR problem for the people who would like to radicalize children, change their genders, whatever. And the news, the NBC then showed up to try to, like, fix it. And I think they just made it worse. Right. They made it worse because, A, their defense was, oh, we say it all the time. It's fine. And, B, it turned out to even, that even turned out to be a lie. People's willingness to push the boundaries on children in America right now ought to scare the living crap out of everybody. Well, the, this the the idea of using children to further your ends. your own uh, not, not, ideological not just views. using them, targeting them, targeting the kids are the goal, and and these things they want to do to them are irreversible. Right. I mean, the gender changes are irreversible, but then also when you think about exposing children to right. adult nudity and sexualization. They don't. They don't really ever rid themselves of that either. That's exactly no. right. Yeah. It like that's in there. It doesn't go away. But and I guess that, that's, that's the that's, point. That's you acceptable behavior for an adult to do in public. But what? Where are the child psychiatrists on this? Where are the Where are the the child protectors afraid coming out right. and saying this is not a good idea? In other words, if you have a choice, do I allow my child to attend the parade with naked people, mm. or do I leave them at home? What was the choice be there? And what and what's the, what's the responsible parent to do if they're aware of that? Well, some people who were defending it were saying, oh, this isn't a huge deal because most children see nudity at home. They've seen their brothers nude. They've yeah. seen their father. So it's fine if they see other adult men nude. I mean, that was like one of the defense uh, statements. I just, I don't know. This has been a troubling week for you know, this judges, this judicial ruling, this parade stuff, that is chanting. T- but to your point, that is typically the re- response saying, Overall, ultimately, it's an eye roll saying, oh, you're just too hung up about sex. You're just too hung up about the reality of the world. And the, the, the fact that get with it, the fact that these kids are whatever, and, and, and you just have to live with that You want to live with your head in the sand, and that's right, just not right. the real and, world. And rather than letting parents be parents, letting 
us each, we're, we're all, all three of us are parents. Let us be dads. Yeah. Let us, let's decide those things rather than you saying, well, you're not sophisticated enough. We're going to go ahead and parent for you in this regard. I uh, follow the libs of TikTok <laughs> Twitter account. And just today before the show, they, people who run this account, were posting photos of library displays that had been sent in from public libraries in America and in Canada. Here's a book, Bye Bye Binary. It's one of those um, board books, they call it, for toddlers. Here's a picture of it. You can see it. Bye Bye Binary. Nobody puts baby in a pink or blue corner. Now, this is not for adults. It's written by adults for little, little children. Here's a whole rack of books. Let's see here. Yep, there's Bye Bye Binary. I mean, Payton's Pronoun Party. Here, I'll show you this one. Pronoun Party. <laughs> here's another one. The Gay BCs. And here's another rack from another library. Just uh, Gender Identity is the name of this book. I mean, and, and so here's a book that just says Gender Identity, and it's like literally five-year-old kids on the cover so, of the book. This is the selfish nature of this sect of people, of this religion. And that is to say, to your earlier point, in order to feel better about myself, to affirm uh, my, my lifestyles, my choices, with how I choose to live my life, I need for children to be able to be indoctrinated. Yeah. To, uh, so to, that, that way, I, I, I do not feel left and, out. And if they can cajole or force parents to get oh. this into the minds of their kids, right? well, then they've won the argument because 10 years from now, it'll be mainstream. And you're very, very easily canceled if, if you're someone who shows up at the school board meeting and says, listen, it's what you do on your own as an adult, it is up to you. I'm not going to condemn you for it. I'm not going to talk about it. I don't want to, I don't care about it, but I don't want you to introduce sexualized conversations into preschool and elementary school I, classrooms. I've heard a number of conservatives actually, when they've been debating these laws, say, look, if you turn 18 years old yeah. and you want to do whatever you're right. going to do as an adult, right. I'm not, I don't really have any control over that. Right. But it's our job to look out for children who literally don't know any better, are influenced by adults. And that's what they're trying to do. And these people who are chanting, we're coming for your children, just can't wait. They can't wait for you to turn 18. They need to do it now. It's really fascinating. Now, you might ask, what is the politics of all this? I was just looking at a Monmouth national poll. Yeah, Monmouth had a survey out this week, interestingly. And first they asked about attention being paid to racial diversity and inclusion. Interesting, by the way. Go ahead. American people said as far as a contrast. So we're going to show you what the American people say about the attention being paid to racial diversity, inclusion, and then transgender and sexual identity. Okay? So in the first case, you have about 20% of American people said it's about right, the amount of attention for racial and diversity and inclusion. Should be more, 39%. Should be less, 39%. So the American people are really split yeah. right. on that, like right down the middle. Interesting. All right. Next so, question was... What, what about the paid? attention being paid to transgender and sexual identity? Is that about right? 11%. 11% said, yes, that's about right. That's a pretty low number, by the way. It should be more? 23%. It 
should be less, 63%. So the conversation being had in the American media and by every Democrat and every Democrat policymaker is not supported by what we see in the national polling about what the right thing is. You get the feeling that the national discourse and the national policy direction has been hijacked by people who are on the literal fringe of American political discourse. But why could this is just a this is a political history question for you, Scott. Is this common for a fringe element to to hijack an entire party? Well, when they've hijacked every other institution that is dedicated to pushing the viewpoint of said party, I guess it's easy to do. Because the cocktail party is already occupied by those folks. Well, I just, it's, I mean, think about all the information distribution institutions in the country. You have media, you have universities, you have corporations. I mean, everywhere you turn, I mean, the average conservative in America right now feels surrounded. Everywhere you look, every major institution seems to be dedicated to pushing fringe radical ideologies that you don't agree with onto your children and you can't stop them. I mean, even in public schools, which, Mm -hmm. by the way, we learned from a story this week in Louisville that public school teachers in the Jefferson County school system were helping the students organize protests in Frankfurt on taxpayer dime, on taxpayer dollars, on school time when they should have been teaching them. And so they were organizing protests to to try to support Andy Bashir's gender ideology agenda in Frankfurt. This is the protests against Senate Bill 150 during the General Assembly. Which we were just talking about. That's right. And I want to give a kudo, by the way. Last week, as you know, we gave a big shout-out to journalists uh, Olivia Evans, Olivia Krauth of the Courier Journal, and to Tessa Duvall, the Herald-Leader. This week, a big shout-out and kudo, applause, to our friend Lawrence Smith from Kentucky Today, published a story, to your point, about after an open records request, request, Scott, that... uh, Talked about some of those emails back and forth between yeah, teachers. Because teachers were then reaching out, you know, trying to recruit um, lawmakers to attend. Yeah, they were to get, organizing because right. we were told at the time this was a student protest. It was the students were so moved, and the teachers were just trying to get out of the way that the students wanted to go to Frankfurt and take a political stance during the school day against this bill. I don't doubt that there were some students who wanted to do that, but the key, the the point of this story is, is that the teachers also played a key role. Yeah, this was not a grassroots students are going to do this on their own. This was a situation to say, okay, we found a, a uh, basically a sympathetic cadre of, of educators who said, yes, we're, 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 we want to help you with this. We want to support you with this. We, we agree with you on this, and we're going to recruit members of the General Assembly who are also like-minded to show up and to rally with you. That is a, you're playing a key role. In a political protest. In a political protest. On taxpayer dollars. With and using students. Back to this Monmouth survey. You know, it's it's an interesting question. You have a fringe minority of people who believe this is the right thing for our country, but they've sort of hijacked the discourse on it. But let's look at it by party. Do you tend to be more supportive of broadening how gender identity issues are taught in schools or more supportive of limiting how gender identity issues are taught in schools? Broadening was 35%. Of Americans. Limiting was 57. Clear majority for limiting. Yeah. Now, by party. Democrats, 56% broaden, 33% limit. Republicans, 9% broaden, 88% limit. Independents, the people who decide elections, 36% broaden, 54% limit. So yeah. when you think about the way other issues are discussed, the media and institutions and 
often talk about issues like, let's say, gun control or abortion or whatever. They're generating polling. Say, oh, Republicans are on the wrong side of it. Who's on the wrong side of this one by the polling? But there's no acknowledgement of how fringe this view is. It's really kind of fascinating to me. But it, but it goes to show you the hijacking of the institutional discourse. Right. It's a fringe position. Andy Bashir's position, Joe Biden's position, the Democratic Party's position is fringe. Even a third of their own party isn't for it. Yeah. And yet, to listen to it, to, to read about it, to, to sort of follow it, is to believe that, oh, this you're the crazy one. Well, this goes back to the Bidenomics, though, and trying to recast the narrative and, and what the facts are. So the question is, is, you know, do they, can they sell it? Right. Right? You know, so ultimately, I don't know. Do you feel like the economy is good right now? Did you believe what Joe Biden had to say today? I went to the grocery store yesterday. No, I, I, it was it's just fascinating. I, I, I guess I've been ruminating on this whole, what are we willing to do to children? What are adults willing to do to children in the name of furthering their own personal ideological crusade? I mean... Children have been abused in this country. The school closures, the COVID restrictions, this gender ideology. <sighs> this is a big political issue. Yeah. It's like, a gen- you, know, you think about what are the generational issues we have to worry about? <laughs> this is it. I wanted to ask you, you were talking about institutional, the media and such. The, your, your friends at the, I think you call them the Daily Yeast. <laughs> you had- well, I went back and forth. I call them the Daily Yeast. But then I thought, maybe I should call them the Daily Least. <laughs> They're both sort of match what I think of them, because yeast is a fungus. And least, of course, means they are the least uh, useful or credible. But anyway, I'll pick one. We'll call them the yeast for now. For today. What's, what's going on with the yeast these days that uh, well, they've been writing about They've been They're writing up again. Well, they've been <laughs> writing about this guy Solenberger who works there, <clears throat> whose brother, I understand, is a podcaster <clears throat> that, uh, for a— uh, Barstool that everybody likes, a sports broadcast, a podcaster. But this guy's a tool. Anyway, he's writing about the Kentucky governor's race, and he's obsessed with Daniel Cameron. Now, if you've been following the Kentucky governor's race, you know that both campaigns have been had stories written about them regarding campaign finances. Let's start with Andy Bashir, which we talked about last week. Took over $200,000 in clearly illegal contributions in a straw donor scheme. Probably the biggest campaign finance scandal in Kentucky history, modern history. All put on one credit card by the mayor of London, Kentucky, yeah. more than $200,000 with different names for each segment. Yes. So that's the Bashir story. The Cameron story is, uh, if you read about it, he got $6,900 worth of contributions from some people who ultimately turned out that they wound up under investigation by the attorney general's office. Uh, they... Um, Daniel, I guess, had had some preliminary contact with them. He cut off contact. They donated anyway. He returned the money immediately. The contributions aren't illegal anyway, as far as I can. It doesn't matter. Let's just look at the facts. Bashir, a white man, 200 grand in clearly illegal contributions. Cameron, a black man, 6,900 bucks returned. But the Daily Yeast is writing about Daniel... Like, you know, they caught him. They, I mean, and it's, it's, it's like, again, and they're tweeting about it. And so I got into it with this Solenberger on Twitter the other day because to me, like, we, we talk a lot about racism in society and systemic racism. 
let me, let me, I, and I don't believe in it most of the time, but I have to say my eyes were opened this week because to me, the definition of systemic racism is white people like Solenberger looking at a state. He doesn't live here. He lives in Texas, but looking at a state and saying, well, I got a white guy with a $200,000 problem and a black guy with $6,900 and, and choosing to focus all of my energies on the black guy. This is the definition of institutional systemic racism, in my opinion. Did he write about the Bashir situation? No. He wrote about the Cameron situation. So only about one. Yes. And I I pointed out in, 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 in his tweet about it, he called Daniel Cameron, quote, the controversial nominee for governor. And I posited that he only called him controversial because he's black. What else would make him different? He's just he's a Republican yeah. in a Republican state running for governor. Why is he controversial? Hmm. Couldn't quite put couldn't quite put my finger on it except for one thing. So I just I don't know. I learned about systemic racism this week <laughs> from the Daily East in that they they are infected. And here's the thing, they got really mad. Yeah. Super pissed at me for I pointing saw there was it out. I a lot of clicks back and forth there. I was curious about what caused all that. Well, I just I I look. <sighs> I just, I think, I think it's real. I think that there is sort of a get out of jail free card for uh, white journalists to, uh, who are, the more liberal you get, the more racially charged things you can say. Yeah. Because you're on the right side of the argument. You know, that's, they're sort of like, oh yeah, well, everyone knows that I have my, I have my card, so I'm allowed to say these things, even though anyone else saying it, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying you should say it, but I'm just saying is for some reason it's excused. We've, we've we've seen editorial cartoons in this state. Right. We've seen columns written in this state in major newspapers by people of that ilk. Yeah, and somehow we we kind of well, we've seen it in Kentucky. Joe Girth at the Courier Journal. Yep. Joel Pett at the Lexington Herald Leader. White guys. But we've seen it nationally too, and Tim, it's national. Tim, Tim Scott faces this every day. Yeah, and so I don't. I think I think as this governor's race rolls on, we're going to see more of it, and it's like. Hard to understand it, like it, you know, in a, a, until you see it up close. Yeah. But anyway, they don't like being told what is plainly obvious to me. This Solenberger, by the way, back during the Senate races, like fully dedicated himself to the destruction of Herschel Walker. Now, I'm not here to relitigate Herschel Walker. Clearly, Herschel Walker's campaign had warts and problems. But I don't know. It just, just seems like his job is to go around and pick out black Republicans and try to destroy their lives and ignore problems by white Democrats. And I just it, that seems systemic. I mean, that's what the definition of systemic. I will systemically seek out black Republicans and systemically ignore white Democrats. Yeah. yeah. Even when there's no comparison in these stories. Systemic racism. By the way. Yes. I'm going to play this. I'm not. We're not running it through the board. I just thought of it. I'm going to. I'm going to play a clip from. I'm going to play a clip. A clip from Nancy Pelosi. Oh, I think I saw this one. She was on MSNBC with my old friend Jen Psaki, former White House press secretary, as a host on there now. But she was on there talking about Clarence Thomas, who they also treat this way. Let's hear what Nancy Pelosi had to say. Nothing else. There should be some ethical rules that would be followed. I had one justice tell me he thought the other justices were people of integrity, like a Clarence Thomas. I'm like, get out of here. Now, 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 interestingly, Nancy Pelosi knows there's something shifty about the black guy. She just can't quite put her finger on it. 
I mean, think about what she just said. I She said she spoke to a Supreme Court justice who yep. said, I think everybody here is ethical. And she immediately said, oh, you being Clarence Thomas? Can't be. The one black guy? By the way, chances are the Supreme Court justice that she was speaking with was not nominated by Donald Trump. Yeah, it was a liberal. Right. So you have a liberal Supreme Court justice telling Nancy Pelosi, look. Somebody who would have personal information. On the, I'm, I, yes, I'm close. On the court, we're ethical. Yeah. And Nancy Pelosi's first instinct, she's white, by the way, is to say, just something about the black guy. Yeah. The, of the nine of you, the black guy seems to be a problem. He's shifty. You do wonder. Uh, I mean, is this not the definition yeah. of systemic racism? It's so built in to your brain that you can't help it and that you think it's fine to say it out loud? Mm-hmm. I, I wonder... Because the the Republican Party is making uh, inroads among black voters, I mean every every election you've seen it going up, and and so my question is: is this is it become a situation where it becomes less of a? I mean, in other words, Nancy Pelosi has to get used to it. That there will be people who are a, a, more conservative who are also. It shouldn't black. be something she has to get used to. I I don't know. I'm just I don't know what her where her I brain just, is. I I, I just. The way we talk about these issues in this country and the way Democrats and liberals and progressives think they're allowed to talk about yeah, it, it's, it's, it's mind-blowing. There is Well, there's that card. I have the card. I'm allowed to say but it. I, but I think they think that if a black person or, frankly, anyone of any nationality that's not white, if, they, if that person becomes conservative or runs as a Republican, that person basically has forfeited their race. That's right. Yeah. Like that's they a, think Daniel Cameron and Clarence Thomas and exactly Tim right. Scott – and whoever they think they have basically because in their mind, race determines politics. Yes. And so if you're black, and Joe Biden has said as much. You ain't. If you ain't voting for me, you ain't black. That's that's the that was one of the truest things he ever said. <laughs> because in his mind, that's the way it is. Yeah. You forfeit your race if you don't adhere to the right politics. Now think about how racist that is. If you say the definition of racism, it is the definition of racism. You're not allowed to think for yourself. You're not allowed to have your own thoughts. I determine. I, Nancy Pelosi, well, white lady. I, Solenberger, white journalist. I get to determine whether you're controversial or whether you're unethical. Mm-hmm. Basically, you're deficient. Yes. If you, know, you you there you have everything else going right about you, but. You have this. This is an error. This yes. Is, this is a code problem. You're this not is, allowed. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we may have had this discussion in this country once, but you take somebody of a particular race and tell them they're not allowed to have free thoughts. I mean, right. it feels like we did. <laughs> we went through this at one point. 1860s called. But it's ideological slavery. Yeah, yeah. You are enslaved by this ideology, and if you run away from it, oh, we're going to hunt you down. Drives me nuts. But, is, but there was a big convergence of all this. Over the last several days, I'm glad we got a chance to talk about it. I have to ask you one more question, uh, Professor Jennings. I saw another tweet of yours this past week, and it really got me thinking. Yes. There's a guy named Ryan Strzok. I'm sorry. You're going to need to sign up for my office hours. (laughs) (laughs) And your tuition check hasn't cleared yet either, Joe. If you'll you'll call the bursar. I was trying to see if I could withdraw. (laughs) It's a whole other story. Ryan Strzok is a uh, CNN uh, journalist, and he uh, tweeted – uh, 56% of Republicans say choosing a nominee who comes closest to their views on issues is more important 
versus 39% who say a nominee with the best chance to defeat Joe Biden is more important in this NBC poll. You quote tweeted, yeah, and you said this question. Great question. What is the purpose of a political party? And I thought I've heard you talk about this before, mm. and I realized I I know obviously that what you be, you believe the purpose of a political party is to elect people. Yes. To but, win elections. It yeah. has no purpose in my opinion other than to win elections. But obviously there's people I would think that would disagree with you on this. I mean, Obviously, I'm out of step. I'm no longer in the establishment. I'm now. <laughs> so I'm now in the outside. Hey, so, so I'm the insurgent. First so time in our closing minutes here, Professor. You've you've lectured and you you were an adjunct professor at uh, the uh, Institute of Politics. You just had to qualify, it, didn't you? University <laughs> adjunct. adjunct. Oh, I'm sorry. You were a professor. You were you lectured <laughs> at University of Chicago and other places. Tell me, Professor Jennings, about political theory here and the purpose of political parties. Well, I saw that poll, and to me, this is one of sort of the defining realities of modern American politics. The purpose of parties, parties, for as long as I've been around and long before me, the purpose was to just win elections. And there was always some ideological push and pull in the parties, depending on who was nominated for president or, you know, changing of the times. And that's that happens. But at, at the end of the day, the parties existed in most people's minds to win the elections because there was a thought that, well, as long as we win, we're going to get most of what we want, even if the person that wins isn't, if I'm only with them 98% of the time, it's okay. We're going to win. But that's not true anymore. More Republicans in this survey would rather be right and lose or have their candidates be right by them and lose than just win the race. They're okay with Joe Biden continuing on as president, as long as they can say, well, at least we nominated the guy that agreed with us, which I find to be ludicrous. You want Joe Biden to be the president for four more years? I find anyway, so I, I have thought about this and thought about this. And, and the question I keep coming, why, why this change? And I actually think it's part of this, the broader collapse of trust in overall institutions. We don't trust the government. We don't trust the media. We don't trust big business, whatever. You know, all these things you don't trust. Well, it stands to reason that we also don't trust or maybe even hate the political parties so much that we're willing to say, <laughs> I would rather someone agree with me ideologically than, than, this, than, than I would rather this party to have the best chance to win. The other thing I think is possibly driving it is that people think so little of government that it doesn't really matter who's in mm. charge. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you know, yeah. they're going to do what they're going to do. Right. That it doesn't matter if we win. The only thing I care about is controlling my club because I don't really give a crap about controlling the government anyway because the government's corrupt. They're all in it together. Either part, it doesn't matter. My life doesn't change. It doesn't matter who wins or loses. My life isn't going to be materially impacted. So why not focus on controlling my club, mm-hmm. the people that I want to, my, my uh, bubble, I want to control my bubble more than I want to control the government because I hate the government. It doesn't do anything anyway, and I don't care. To me, this is the wages of 13, 14 years of Republicans and some Democrats crapping on every single person who ever did win an election. Yep. Right? I mean, for for, for 13, 14, 15 years now, one of the main Republican strategies is, well, if you won an election, you're now the enemy. Mm-hmm. Well, 
guess what? Over time, people start to believe you. And so winning an election is not like a badge of honor. In fact, losing elections is now a badge of honor. Yeah. Donald Trump, Carrie Lake. Growing up in the party, I always thought the winners were the ones who were revered. But now the winners are the ones who were reviled. And the losers are revered. Well, in fact, the the it's it's, it's crazy with this this thinking. The word that goes along with that is sellout. Yeah, right. Is in other words, if you have somehow engineered a victory to the, stay in and to be able to do, you must have compromised right. exactly your if, values. If you're eighty five percent there, and I've heard, frankly, I've heard, uh, I'll just say it. I mean, I've heard John Yarmuth criticize Mitch McConnell his entire career, talking about how Mitch McConnell doesn't believe in anything. Because he keeps winning elections, <laughs> you know, and uh, no, yeah, Mitch finds a way to win. And if you look at the overall record of what he's been behind and what he's been able to achieve, would you say that that has been a success? Yes, I mean, if you if you're someone who wants conservative outcomes, right. of course you would. But if you're someone who is a doctrinaire and you're being dogmatic about it and say, has he done exactly everything that you know this? This portion of the party believes, and well, no, no, you know, not going to be a part of that. It's, it's the politics of subtraction, and that's not how you win elections. And, but the thing is, what do most Americans want? Most Americans are not super ideological. Yeah. In fact, I think according to Gallup right now, more people identify as independent than either Republican or Democrat. So, the way to win is to get those people right. Plus, hold your party. But what we're having now, and I think this is true in the Democratic Party, although they did nominate Biden, although I guess they knew what they were getting, which is just (laughs) a hole, a shell of a human being that they could inhabit. With Bernie Sanders, I was going to say platform. I just think I think if it had been Joe Biden, this is a tangent. If 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 it was Joe Biden from 25 years ago, they would have seen through it and known that he was as liberal as what he is. I just think the more grandfatherly he became. People kind of looked into him as being sort of a well, nice I, old man. But I think Democrats tolerated his portrayal of himself as a moderate dealmaker because they wanted to win. That's yeah. right. They wanted to beat Donald Trump. Sure. Now I ask you, who wants to beat Joe Biden? Because it seems to me that the only voting criteria, if you really want to beat Joe Biden, the only voting criteria is which of these people gives me the best chance. And by the way, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think Tim Scott, I think Joe Biden would have to forfeit the election if we nominated (laughs) Tim Scott. I sort of think that about DeSantis, too. Younger. Whatever. I know Trump's going to be the hardest hill to climb. I believe that. He's going to be the hardest hill to climb. Yet, he's in the driver's seat. You look at all the polling, all, everything that's happened, he is going up. You know, I mean, right, I mean, look, it's about half the party wants to do it and half doesn't. He controls half, and then 13 other people control half. Well, you know how it's going to play out. Biden is really no better. I mean, he's also struggling. I mean, he's he's giving away 30% right now to RFK and Marianne Williamson. You heard in the polling, even Democrats aren't all that happy with the state of the economy. It's not like he's revered. Americans don't want this. It's, It's just fascinating to me that the parties and some of the people in them are now geared to give the American people exactly what they don't want, which are folks who can appeal to the most folks. Like Trump and Biden, whether you love them or hate them, either one, they have, they have a limited appeal. There's so many people. In all the national surveys right now, both Trump and Biden are almost the same, 30% approval or favorable, 60% unfavorable. I mean, they're both hated equally. In fact, Biden might be hated a little more, truthfully. 
So, the, But the parties are like gearing up to give us this outcome that people don't want in the name of, I want to be right. Instead of, I just, what is a party? What's the purpose of a party? I don't know. Are they just shells, holes? I, I don't know. I thought they were vehicles to win elections, ships to be sailed over the vast political ocean and reach our destinations. The, the destination being getting more votes. Send your educational tuition payments to <sighs> Flyover Country podcast. Do you, think the, do you think the hatred for parties also sort of coincides with the rise of personality-based politics? Oh, certainly. I mean, it's a factor. I mean, I will follow you, but I hate your party. Yeah. But but you've had a lot of Republicans run on that. You know, I am a Republican, but I hate the Republican Party and the people who run it. And so you sort of you, you build in this mentality that if someone is a strong supporter of the party, then that is somehow bad. Yep. Well, and partisan, I mean, even, the word partisan itself is, is a dirty word, right? If you're partisan, well, partisan means it has to do with a party, right? You're following a party line. But, Am I correct? I mean, even Mike Pence used to say that I'm a conservative. I'm a Christian. I'm a conservative. I'm a Republican in that order. Well, that he was part of the Tea Party right. movement. Would, that, would, that that was their deal, which is let's crap on the party yeah. as much as we can in an effort to get control of the party. Mm-hmm. It's interesting though. Trump used to he used these tactics. You know, sure. all these people that have been running the Republican Party don't know what they're doing. They're terrible. They're losers. Well, he's now in control of the party. Right. He is now them. He is now the establishment. You can't really run that play when you're the one in charge of it. And they they used to be paying his legal bills. Yes, it's. I know we're we're living through a fat. Eric Erickson was here, you know, with the pot a few weeks, and he said he felt we were living through a once in a hundred years turnover in our American political system. I think he's right, and just this is just like another offshoot of it that I think we're going to be puzzling over for the rest of our natural lives. Fascinating. Any seam red hair before we wrap it up here, Joy boys? Oh, we've seen it and heard enough. I have one. Okay, I have. I have one admission to make. Okay, I like words, and I've been using a particular word uh, purposefully. Inc- I mean, not incorrectly, purposefully, but I've been using it purposefully, and as it turns out, incorrectly all of my life. I, in my head, the word categorically is a qualifying word. If I categorically deny something, deny something, that's the most often iteration of it. I categorically yeah, deny right. this, right? And so, to me, the, what you should say is, I uncategorically deny this. I uncategorically, in other words, without any exception, without any category. I, but as it turns out, I was I was writing something every day, and I looked this up, and I and I and I, and I every instance of this is saying uncategorically is a silly but distressingly <laughs> common malapropism for categorically. So what you're saying is... I'm wrong. You said Wait a, a You said a word. Everyone else in the known universe said it a different way, and you're just now thinking... Wait a minute. No, so, right. so other, cat- people so, have, other people have said uncategorically. I've heard it elsewhere, not just me. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Which one is correct? Categorically. Oh, yes, of course. The one everyone else Wait, has you didn't using. know that? Oh, be quiet. No. No, I thought that... No, un- I, would, I, I have always said I categorically deny or I categorically And I believe. always thought that you were wrong. <laughs> and I, it turns out... Next week, we'll tell Joe about couldn't care less. No, I've always been right on that one. Interesting. Okay, that's a good one. I'm just saying, I just want to I just want to say it out loud. It's sort of like making a pledge to myself. I have to drum that word out of my vernacular because I've been saying uncategorically, meaning in an unqualified way. I, I put those two as synonyms. Yeah. And, it's, and so that's, there's my update. That's Kevin Grout. I'm Joe Arnold. You, you don't, we don't get to go? 
I, I, thought, I, thought, I thought you both said you didn't have Categorically, anything. we've got nothing else. Well, That's I right. mean, you, it's like you had this segment just for yourself. I did. It's like you tried to erase us from the show. Categorically. <laughs> what do you got for me? Well, I don't know. I, I have massed a bunch of stuff this week for show prep. I got a bunch of stuff in my email here. I'll tell you one quote that I saw this week that just, okay. Joe Biden at, a, at an event. Quote, I'm a practicing Catholic. I'm not big on abortion, but <laughs> guess what? Roe versus Wade got it right. His his vacillating between claiming to be a devout Catholic Christian and his position on the complete and total annihilation of all limits on abortion continues to be, in my opinion, one of the most fascinating dualities in American politics. But then when you couple it with the video, which I don't know if I could find it real quick, but Con- did you see the video of Kamala Harris this week giving oh, the yeah, message— yeah, yeah. To Christians saying, oh, I did see that actually. you don't have to give up your religious beliefs in order to believe abortion is good. She was like begging Christians to stop believing. This is a great. It, this is a great bookend for this week's podcast because we started with the Bidenomics and trying to uh, to recast the narrative, and now we're going to end the same. You way got her. And I think on this issue, it's really important to also just remember. You don't have to abandon your faith or your deeply held beliefs to agree that the government should not be telling a woman what to do. Again, this idea that the government has no role in protecting children. Again, it's part of the war on children. The government has no role in in helping children stop themselves from being murdered. (laughs) I mean, you're you're infringing upon my freedoms. It's crazy. But the idea that you would pin it to, well, I'm a Catholic, but, <laughs> or, hey, you can be a Christian and believe in abortion. It, it, the, the, the absolute out-of-touch, brain-dead nature of it to me is stunning. Anyway, that's my scene. In and that, that, that's a good segue into uh, this past Saturday was the one-year anniversary of the Dobbs decision. It was. Uh, Joe is the one who, who rightly called it uh, two years ago. But also here in Kentucky— um, the ACLU and Planned Parenthood here in Kentucky just dropped their own lawsuits they challenging did. Kentucky's abortion They gave laws. up. Uh, in the week before, a federal court had dismissed other challenges. So right now in Kentucky, there are no current legal challenges against our abortion laws, in my understanding, and the anniversary of the Dobbs decision. Uh, so just on this topic that you brought up, Scott, it's been a, been a great week. Yeah, a good week in some ways and a absolutely puzzling and downright Weird and troubling week in others. It's going to get stranger and stranger as the campaign season in Kentucky. Oh, oh, oh! On. I know it's. I know we're running long, but yes. this is our last show before July Fourth. Oh, it is. You're right. Which, according to the Almanac, is America's birthday. And I just wanted to say Happy Birthday, America. And I, I love the July Fourth holiday. I may be in D.C. We'll see. I may not. But I'm going to be looking at some fireworks, just oh, like yeah. John Adams wanted. I, I this is to me, you know, it's amazing. We have one. We celebrate America, like the core, fundamental, you know, what it means to. to I mean, we founded this nation. One day, other causes get entire months. We get one day. If you're pro, if you like love America, we get one day. Better make the most of it. Buy that flag. I need to buy a new flag, by the way. I need to buy a new flag pole. I need, I need, need one that has the grommets on it to be able to put that together. 
So I'm going to ask your Thank voice, you. your Boy Scout son, to come over and help me put that together. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, you know, I'm aware of the grommets. You know, I needed some help with that. I think you're saying it wrong. It's gourmet. <laughs> I categorically deny that. Thanks for listening. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab, coming to you from the heart of Middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts.